Welcome everyone to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Doing good, man. Uh, this is the first fight night we're having in way too freaking long, since 2019, I'm pretty sure, so over a month. Oh, uh, wow. And I just ate an amazing steak. Like, really, I posted a picture on Twitter so you guys can uh, drool and envy, but man, sometimes I sometimes I outdo myself, and this is one of those times. Yeah, that's funny. I'm, uh, I got a steak just sitting, getting salted right now, uh, which I'm going to eat right after this. I just got back from, I'm actually back in Seattle right now. Uh, just got back from East Denver. I'm here for a week just to say hi to friends and family before I uh, go right back into Florida to, to keep slamming my head into my computer for real tea. So that's what I'm up to. It's all about sacrifice, bro. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I'm I like I honestly I just don't take vacations. It's like no vacation until Bitcoin 2020. So you can't. Uh, I know how you feel, <laughs> dude. Like all of the friends I was talking to at East Denver and all like the people at Maker that I'm close with and, and Anthony Sazel from Cesano from Set. Like we were all talking about like how no one no one takes more than just like one or two days off like per year. Like you can't do that in this space. It's like not okay. possible. That's that's pretty intense. I take more days off from that for sure, but there's definitely long sprints. <laughs> definitely long sprints. Mm-hmm. I took eight days off when I went to Hawaii. I fucked my shit up. That was yeah. that was not good. That was yeah, way dude. too long. I can't. Really if threw I take me more out. than more than twenty four days off of, of of realty, it just it it just it just backlogs it. I'm just I just have like two days worth of stuff to do the next day. That it's means crazy. you need to automate yourself. You're too yeah. important. Yeah. Yes, I am. <laughs> let's talk about our sponsors first off we got eToro eToro is the best place to get bitcoin and ether and any other of your favorite crypto assets they are in the united states as of 2019 and they have come in swinging Uh, they have a lot of your favorite assets and you can do everything from one click invest in an index one click allocate to your favorite trader strategy or you can just stack stats and pull it off the exchange. A true one-shop stop. Um, and if you go to Bitcoin conf- or, sorry, Bitcoin2020conference.com backslash eToro and sign up through there um, and make your first trade, you actually get a Bitcoin 2020 ticket on the house by eToro. So make sure to go to Bitcoin2020conference.com backslash eToro and sign up for eToro, get a Bitcoin 2020 ticket. I think they're 350 bucks now. So it's going to be a great weekend in SF and you can do it by just stacking sats on eToro. Next up is Unchained Capital. We talk about Unchained Capital a bunch in this podcast. They are one of my favorite smart contract companies and they are building natively on Bitcoin. All of their financial solutions are using Bitcoin's native multi-sig features. Uh, their first solution is the Volt feature. This is easy multi-sig for consumers. Multi-sig is still having a little bit of growing pains. It's not that easy to set up, but ult- but, mu- blah, blah, blah. but Unchained Capital makes it extremely easy to do it. Um, if you have a ledger and a treasure, you can you know use one of each, so that way you're not exposed to um, the vulnerabilities of a single sig and a single manufacturer. Um, so big up, you know, big ups there. It's true cold storage. Everything is on the blockchain. I'm a big fan of Unchained Capital. You should be too. Check them out at Unchained. It's Unchained-Capital.com and on Twitter at Unchained Cap. All right. So what are we going to get into this uh, this episode, Christian? Well, you just got back from East Denver. What were the highlights outside of uh, Vitalik getting to sit with two governors and make them read a children's book? I don't think that was Vitalik's. Uh, that was Vitalik's move. I think that was John Poller and the the East Denver crew. Uh, it's a really good book. I, I didn't realize until halfway through that it was a total knockoff of B is for Bitcoin. Uh, and when I realized that, that that was pretty funny. Um, I was I was entertained. Uh, obviously, it's a children's book, but it's also not a children's book because it has just like super esoteric terms like built into it. Like H is for a hash function. You know, C is for consensus, like shit that kids aren't going to pay attention to, but that's pretty fun. Uh, the, the, my big takeaways from, from ETH Denver was everyone were t- was talking about money Legos and ETH is money. 
those are like the two big things that that just like were were rampant throughout throughout east denver when i was there and so this is my third east denver so i'm an east denver veteran um the first east denver the applications that were built on it like i can't really remember a single one and they were just there was they were stuff like decentralized twitter like peepeth and 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 then in 2019 there was like maybe 10 to 20 percent of the projects were like DeFi or or um you know valuable asset management uh applications and then this time it was like 50 percent um so it's the the community is just kind of rallying behind that so that was pretty cool to see the last gasp eat this funny dude it's no what are you talking about it's only getting it's the only getting application more more left it is the application we we if like 2015 to 2017 ethereum was like throwing random ass shit at the wall and the only one that stuck was that eth is money like that's why DeFi is taking off and nothing else is. Damn. The cranky Bitcoin Maxwell's for right again. Yeah, no, totally. Like it's, these are, these are systems that are about money. These are money systems. Yeah. I mean, I actually just did a debate podcast Ben from Multicoin Capital uh, mm. about whether or not DeFi is a good thing in its current state. And it is like, is, is healthy for Ethereum. And we kind of, like he had, he was on the pro side, but he agreed with me that there's a lot of uh, scary things about DeFi. There's a lot of things where like there, he thinks that there needs to be limitations on how composable things are. He thinks that excessive co- composability is actually a real thing, which is like what this money Legos thing is. Right. How do you define excessive composability? I guess getting to the point where just like these derivatives are unhealthy and create a ticking time bomb or create uh like too much leverage in the system or whatever i can't i can't even think of all the examples but there's it seems like there's already a lot of examples of things that scare ben i don't i don't see why that would be unique to to DeFi and not separate from like the traditional uh financial system like like DeFi is a faustian bargain with risk like it's composability that has second third fourth order consequences both positively and negatively like it's it's an n order consequence in both directions but the whole point the whole thing about progress human progress and building businesses and building companies that provide value to people is that you have to build things that leverage the good side of the n order consequences of defi and not, and figure out how to control for the bad like no one's building applications on Ethereum that are meant to attack other protocols. Like that's just what happens when, when we don't get it right. But you know, whenever, whenever we, you, you get hit with something like the BZX attack and we figure out what we missed and then we move forward. What if there's a thing that was instead of insurance was almost like automated white hacking or black or black hatting? Mm. Where it's like literally they're writing applications in order to break applications that are bad and take all the uh, money out. Well, it won't break, but it will just make things unlucrative for everyone else. And so, like, say, say, so basically, what you're saying is like this BZX hacker guy. What if he just wrote that into a script to take advantage of all the little inefficiencies that that they could take advantage of? And that's already in existence today. That's just that's just people that are writing scripts to liquidate CDPs, borrowing money to do that. That's just Ethereum becoming in, uh, efficient. And, and this BZX attack, wasn't, it wasn't like a hack. It wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't a, a, a backdoor. It was simply some guy taking advantage of an illiquid market on Ethereum. And, and it, it was just simply an, an exploit of that nature. And so like the fact it's actually not really it's not it's not an attack it's like we need people to be a a market he was like a market maker but he also manipulated the market at the same time and so like we need market makers on ethereum that's like a very good thing that we need we just also need them to not manipulate the markets at the same time what i thought was more telling like you said there's no like this wasn't like a backdoor exploit it kind of was you know essentially the team backdoored themselves they saw that there's activity that they didn't appreciate. They saw that price was getting manipulated and funds were being uh, drained, even though that that was totally with the rules and they paused mm-hmm. 
the, the they pause the contract. I mean, I guess that is necessary for things to go forward. Uh, but mm-hmm. I just thought it was very interesting that this pretty much operated like any other centralized exchange hack. You know, funds okay. are Safu. They backed everyone up. Like this is it really is like a centralized team like that is letting using Ethereum yes natively to to operate their business. But is it DeFi? I don't know. That's like a, that's I think that's an interesting distinction. I feel like this even showed me that it's more like realty than it is like DeFi. No, that's that's a terrible. That's that's totally wrong. And I'm gonna I'm I'm actually really happy you brought this up because I knew we were going to get into this. And so I'm gonna go to Eric Wall's tweet, which I hope you read because he he just laid it all out with exactly what was what was on point. Hold on, let me find it. I found it a second ago. Okay, I read it for like three tweets. Well, then then you fucked up. Tweets like DeFi. This is from Eric Wall. Tweets like DeFi apps are no different than centralized keys because all the contracts have admin keys is a cheap, boring, fast track, fast track to crypto Twitter wokeness. These days forcing me to take the devil's advocate and point out why that's something wrong. Warranted retort. A DeFi admin key can allow you to pause, freeze the contract. This is very bad. Oh no, but it's not identical to a centralized exchange unless that admin key allows you to confiscate individual users' balances. You can also imagine smart contracts that incorporate comprehensive privacy features uh, for example, see Aztec protocol, having an admin key to freeze the contract when you have no idea what people are doing is extremely different to centralized exchanges, which they see everything. But wait, there's more. There's also smart contracts where there is an admin key, but any action taken by the admin is delayed by the contract, giving the users the time to react and withdraw before the change goes into effect. Can't guarantee that on a centralized exchange. And if that still doesn't satisfy you, there are also smart contracts that have no admin keys or oracles at all, where upgrading the system is completely opt-in where you, when, you use your, when you need to move your funds to a new contract, like Uniswap Exchange. There is a wide design spectrum available for things in between with the nuance of, the, of control you like, allowing you to test out your model before tossing the keys. Although, recent, although Oracle-reliant designs can be expected to struggle with this for a long time. And now here's, here's where the Bitcoiners will get happy. The problem is that many Ethereum influencers have been asleep at the wheel when it comes to realizing the level of centralized control most DeFi apps are under, making them equally useless but more harmful as some of the dim-witted Bitcoin maximalists who criticize them. Right now, we are in a situation where Ethereum influencers are slowly waking up to the perils of what they're preaching about. Bitcoin maximalists should be no worse and reciprocate by learning the more intricate nuances of the stuff they are criticizing. Spicy take. Another way to think about DeFi is as a mutualized infrastructure where anyone can build financial primitives that operate with others. Some can be fully decentralized, some can be semi, and some can be centralized. This is not natively stupid. Anyways, if you're running around CryptoTrader trying to win wokeness points because you've just learned that many DeFi protocols today still come with centralized point of control, you're late to the party and your brain is boring and rant. He nailed it. He nailed the whole thing. That is, there's literally not one thing he said that was that was wrong. He, Eric Wall, nice job. Nice job. It's kind of funny that as soon as Eric Wall joined and or started a fund, I forget what it was, he all of a sudden became a lot more open-minded to other things. Um, but with that being said, um, what is different between BZX and Unchained Capital then? Because all the things that he talked about of like the advantages of a smart contract essentially are true with Unchained Capital, except that they actually have even less control. Composability. I mean, there's a lot of things that are composable about Unchained Capital. You can take that structure and then you can fork it and replicate it and use it how you want. Yeah, it's not going to happen though. Like it's, I mean, it's not the same thing. The difference between I mean, Unchained Capital and or in the Bitcoin blockchain and instantiated in Unchained Capital is that the, the DeFi is something internal to Ethereum and Unchained Capital is external to Bitcoin. It's the being internal to Ethereum means all of these things are operating. Literally, they're all touching each other. Every, every application on Ethereum is one transaction away from another application on Ethereum. And that's just not true with, with uh, Unchained Capital. Yeah. I mean, well, it remains to be seen how, how much of an advantage that that actually creates. But what I'm actually talking about is BZX as a company and 
fulcrum as mm -hmm. a product, what makes that different, right? Mm -hmm. What literally makes that setup different than Unchained Capital? Like the, as far as I'm concerned, both organizations are a centralized organization that is uh, creating trust with their clients and they are using their blockchains of choice natively, right? But outside, like what is different between those things? Do you have to sign up with Unchained Capital and do an email password thing? You do. Do you have to do KYC? Uh, you need to do KYC if you want them to co-sign. Yeah, that's the difference. Okay, so the difference between that is in BZX is that they haven't heeded the law and they're putting themselves at risk. That's the only difference. Sure, sure. But like at the same time, you have like a like multiple other uh, leverage uh, companies on DeFi that do the same thing. And like, what if the law, A, what if the law never comes? B, what if they are just executing regulatory arbitrage? And C, what if they're just one transaction away from having a decentralized protocol, which I'm not sure if BZX is, but others are. Like eventually the same application will come with no backdoor. I mean, you could say the same thing about like Casa is like a is a multi sig solution for Bitcoin, and they don't they don't KYC you. Okay, then but then it's not composable. The whole point of Ethereum is composability, and that's what Bitcoin like, will you never can, have. You can use regulatory arbitrage for both chains. Yeah, I don't I right. don't know if that's actually true, but we'll see. What if Bitcoin yeah. gets on Ethereum? Then all of a sudden, Bitcoin's composable. Okay, the, the, the lesson that we learned, okay, here's my tweet that I want, that I want to talk about that's also related to this. But, but you're, still not you're, you're still not really addressing my point is that, BZ, like, what is DeFi? Like, I don't really, like, BZX is, is not DeFi. BZX is a company that's using Ethereum natively. I okay, mean, so which is Bit fine. Like, Bitcoin that's great. Is a railing on DeFi because it's called decentralized finance. And like, I've been trying, to, I, I, I've given up, but I've been trying to start calling it open finance because it's a much better name. It's much more accurate and, and, and it's easier for newbies to understand, but like we lost DeFi, it got it caught. And so now we call it DeFi. Like you're right. Like we shouldn't have called it de decentralized finance. We should have called it open finance. Like, would you stop harping on on DeFi if we called it open finance? Like, probably or probably. I pr I would take it a lot more seriously if people were serious about regulatory arbitrage and being cypherpunks and less cute about being decentralized. But why why would we do that when it hasn't presented to be an issue yet? Like we'll we'll do that when it present what, when and what if it's just not an issue? It, uh, okay, it, like it's pretty no clear that it is definitely an issue. So I, actually, a, not, a, a, not a, yet, not on Ethereum. A, I have a. It's not that is not intrinsic to Ethereum. It's not like this touched Ethereum, so therefore it's not going to be an issue. So it just, far, it has not prevented any DeFi company from producing their product for users and when the day comes like it's it stopped it stopped um ether delta that shitty exchange that was run managed by one person that was the only time something on ethereum got stopped by authorities like and until they actually start coming like i would much rather them focus on their products rather than focus other resources on regulatory arbitrage okay okay so back to what you said about what happens when bitcoin comes to ethereum here are my three tweets. Here are the obvious and not so obvious lessons from the recent BZX exploit. DeFi is a risk reward trade. We all love the cool stuff you can do on Ethereum and sometimes stuff like this will happen. This is an obvious net positive trade, but we commit to having these exploits at times. Second, flash loans are dangerous. They will make markets on Ethereum, Ethereum efficient and simultaneously reduce the capital needed to exploit. It's a double edged sword. These, uh, these things are extensively talked about, but I don't hear anyone talking about what I think is the biggest takeaway, which is that illiquid, on, illiquid markets or illiquid assets on Ethereum will always offer opportunities like this. In this case, liquidity is the defense. Liquidity is the moat. Tokenized BTC on Ethereum will always face this challenge. Unless TBTC or WDBTC can find sufficient liquidity, BTC on Ethereum is doomed because the native asset always wins. So if, if you want a Bitcoin to come to Ethereum, it needs to fight with Ethereum's liquidity on Ethereum or else it will always be a, an exploitable asset. 
given it that it has all the financial services that are available to it on Ethereum. So like Bitcoin is fighting for Ether as, as a role of the liquid asset on Ethereum. And if, if it can't figure that out like quick, then it's never going to happen. It's always going to be exploitable. Always is a very strong statement. I mean, right now it's definitely avoidable, but uh, or it's definitely exploitable. But the ecosystem on Ether is just like not enticing enough to put a lot of BTC on there. And there's a lot of other options to compete for people to put their BTC on. No, I just don't think Bitcoiners give a fuck about Ethereum. I think they're always going to keep their Bitcoin on Bitcoin. I mean, there's a lot of people that use Bitcoin that don't keep their Bitcoin on Bitcoin. Yeah, I'm not, I'm no, I'm no longer bullish on Bitcoin on Ethereum. So like what this is, you, you, when you say Bitcoiner, who are you talking about? The generalized individual that identifies as a Bitcoiner. And like, I'm curious, like what percentage of Bitcoin do you think are held by those kind of individuals? Like, like what percentage of all of Bitcoin out there are held by Bitcoiners? Sure more than 50 percent maybe a lot more okay hang on like emits and altcoin that have bitcoin a lot of ogs are are you just got fucked you just got fucked by the internet i didn't hear you can you start over yeah how about like ethids and multi-coiners that hold bitcoin too also the live stream just went down oh it's it's back well, you just said that that Bitcoiners will never will never use Ethereum, and I just think that there's yeah. a lot of people who own Bitcoin in Ethereum and in other chains and in other places that are very willing to experiment, and the that the singular community of Bitcoiners on Twitter that are like Bitcoin maximalists or diehards or you know run a node and cold card type. Um, that, that is actually not representative of a lot of, of Bitcoiners. I mean, that's not representative of anyone in, in China. And like, we know that that is a very large group of people. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Um, the, the problem with Bitcoin on Ethereum is like, so, okay, cool. A lot of Bitcoiners want Bitcoin to be on Ethereum or not Bitcoiners, but Bitcoin holders or whatever. A lot of people would get value out of Bitcoin on Ethereum. That doesn't solve the problem that there needs to be one single asset on Ethereum that is Bitcoin. Rather, So we have like WBTC and then we're going to have the REN protocol, Bitcoin on Ethereum, and then we're going to have TBTC on Ethereum. And it's going to be, it's going to be three different tokens that all have three different liquidity pools uh, on Ethereum. And then they're all going to have fractured, fractured liquidity. Maybe uh, the M-stable team or the whatever... Yeah, M stable, which just has like, compose like a, them all together and make a make yeah, a token. That's, the, that's no, that's what M stable is. It, is there it, we it, go? <laughs> like a basket. Yeah. So we'll see. But then, then there's that X X K C D comic that is like, there's 14 different standards for this one thing. I'm gonna make uh, a standard that is universal, so we can all just agree to use this one universal standard. And then the next panel is now there's 15 different standards of this. <laughs> Um, and so, and that's not even a criticism of, of uh, tokenized Bitcoin. That's that's M Stable's problem with stable coins. They're going after stable coins. They want to make the meta stable coin. So there's like you know seven different stable coins, and they want to make it the eighth. Uh, so I mean, Bitcoin only has three different versions. So maybe that's better. Uh, but I, I'm not as excited as I once was. So uh, Parker Lewis, who was recently on the show, he's he talks about this. He didn't talk about it on our show, but he talks about this a lot. And he's like, people think that uh, like, like uh, economy will converge around a money, but that's actually not true. What needs to happen is uh, we need to converge on a money so that we, that way we can have an economy, like having an ecosystem and economy happens once you have already converged on a money. Um, So you have to decide that this is going to be your money before the ecosystem can grow around it. Yeah, and I, I think that's actually the fundamental difference between Bitcoin and, and Ethereum. And so like, it's, it's really a chicken and an egg debate. It's like, what comes first? The, the financialization creates the money or then, or does the money create the financialization? And so Bitcoin went with the uh, money, money, then financialization route, and Ethereum is going with the financialization, then money route. Like, if we didn't have DeFi on Ethereum, 
I would probably be a Bitcoiner. Like DeFi is making Ether into money. Like Ether used to be gas to pay for, you know, decentralized tweets on Peepith. And now it's the collateral for all of these brand new financial services on the internet. Like, and so the, the DeFi is what turned Ether into money. And, and I think that this is an interesting experiment to think about which one comes first, but ultimately it's a chicken and an egg problem. So we don't really know. I mean, I was, I was saying that comment because I was saying that DeFi is people agreeing that Ether is money and converging on that. But mm-hmm. I mean, you just pretty much said that, no, it's, it's different because the DeFi made Ether into money, which I would actually disagree with. Um, I don't know. I, I think that like, I think that the crypto ecosystem includes both Bitcoin and Ethereum and the crypto ecosystem has already decided that Bitcoin is money and Ethereum is inside of the crypto ecosystem. And I don't know if it's like going to grow and usurp it. I just don't think that's going to happen. I think it's going to keep complementing the current hierarchy, but we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. It, yeah. But do you agree that that ultimately in, it depends on Bitcoin coming to Ethereum? Because so long as Bitcoin isn't on Ethereum, Ether is money to whatever the degree that Ethereum is the economy. So I agree with that statement, but I think that if the Ether economy continues to build good rails, then the incentive to bring Bitcoin to Ethereum will increase. And if it doesn't grow, build good rails, then the incentive to put Bitcoin elsewhere will, will, you know, you know, will, will dominate. So the incentive to bring Bitcoin to Ethereum is also going to be a function of how well Ether is using Ethereum to be itself money. Like Bitcoin is only going to want to come to Ethereum if Ether is being used as money on Ethereum. And so the incentive for Bitcoin to come is going to be a function, literally a function of Ether, its value, its liquidity, its moneyness inside of Ethereum. And Bitcoin is going to be on the outside saying like, hmm, I sure would like a piece of that. Maybe I'll just go over here. But then it, then it has to compete in the same way that you think that Ether has to compete with Bitcoin's liquidity and you know, uh, you know, all, the, all of its moneyness on the outside. Bitcoin is going to have to come into Ethereum and compete with Ether on the inside of Ethereum for all the same reasons. And so really it's a gamble as the difference between Bitcoin and Ethereum is a gamble as to how important the inside of Ethereum is. And I think it's super important. I think it's the next generation of of value systems on the internet. Yeah. I mean, I guess part of your theory too, is that when you're operating in Ethereum, like you don't have like the same monet, like you're, you're in a different monetary well than in the real life. I just think that that bubble is less defined. Like, I think that as like ether rails get integrated, that other, that other, uh, like ether is not a bubble, I guess. Right. So like, let's Mm -hmm. say like you integrate DeFi rails to do dollar lending. Right. And maybe ether is happening in the background. Like if socially people don't still like ether is kind of being abstracted away from the UI. If ether is not making social gains in its moneyness, like, I don't know. I just, do you get what I'm saying? Like, I, I just don't see how you can separate like the ether economy from just the, the grand economy. Um, I, I don't, I don't see that. Like, I don't see that that is reality. I think that if ether is successful, it's because it's being integrated more into reality. It's not going to mm-hmm. be like in its own bubble. I know it was a, a very roundabout, poorly, <laughs> poorly worded way of saying that but do you get what i'm saying like i just don't i don't see this distinction so deeply like like the rest of the world is what we're going after like when we when we look at the market cap of gold or equities and then we compare to the market cap of bitcoin or ethereum it's because we're going after the outside rest of the world but ethereum literally is a bubble it is a bubble like it's a bubble and there's the inside and the outside of the bubble and so like you say that Ethereum's not a bubble because it has to go and relate to the outside world, but the outside world can only come into Ethereum if it plays by its rules, which so far the native asset of Ethereum is Ether. And that is so far the rules of Ethereum. And so 
the whole the whole point of like this whole crypto revolution is that we're going to consume the outside world from the inside out like bitcoin is the the a roundabout way to you know replace what what uh money is replace the dollar and it's not doing it you know directly it's it's going around and about and that's what ethereum is doing for all of finance it's going it's it's allowing people to opt out of finance in the same way that people are can opt out of the dollar or their whatever fiat currency and say you know you can use this financial system and then all of a sudden that becomes the main standard and so like yeah we could we have to build bridges to the outside world but only so they can come into our world and then stay here. Like all of Ethereum's apps are like nice little cozy things that you put in your home. So you never have to leave. Like, you know, it just keeps you, it keeps you locked in because why would you ever leave? And so all of a sudden the inside is then envelops the whole world and is then the outside. And then it's all of a sudden weird. It gets, it, it's, it's an inside out capture mechanism. I think that, there is going to be an alternative ecosystem or economy that is growing alongside the traditional economy. Right. And, but the way people opt into that is to opt into accepting that Bitcoin is money and then wanting to accept Bitcoin. Like that's how that alternative economy mm-hmm. kind of like, like begins and starts to develop and grow. Like I, it just like, I think I see that as like very organic. I, I just think that like the complete, like let's just replace all the rails and then like completely grow it to overwhelm. I just, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I, I just don't a hundred percent buy into that vision, especially because I don't think that ether is better than the current system. Right. Like if you had to put everything on ether, like I don't think that that makes it better than like having a decentralized you know, technologies operating on top of each other and interacting like the current internet is working. Like, I don't know. I just, it does, yeah. I don't even know if that makes sense. That, that statement right there is the crux of my fundamental disagreement with your thesis. The, the whole cool, the value proposition of Ethereum is, is its inside nature. It's composable, everything one, one step away from everything else nature. We've never seen that before. We have absolutely the world computer no nature. I don't even know what that means. Sure. Whatever. Like you're going to build this ecosystem where everything is going to be inside of it. Right. Yeah. If you, if that's yeah. what you world economic computer. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. I just don't, I don't buy it. I do. I, I have bought it. I have literally bought it. <laughs> um, what else? Are we going to keep talking about this like hack at all? Or is it just like, does it even matter? I mean, it's, it's at the end of the day, it's only $350,000. Like there's an exchange that is default, like defaulting on their users by like, what was it? Like $35 million. F coin. Yeah. Like yeah. people are is all it, was it an exit about, scam like, oh. now. No, no. They just had bad books. They were like, Oh, turns out we are short $30 million whoopsies it was just it was just incompetence i don't know i saw something about like money laundering now i don't know i think like scammer like whenever i see like those quick chinese exchanges pop up or asian exchanges it's always so sketchy yeah like F- that's, point, that's why i don't get why you can't you can't say something like valuable like something like maker dow or uniswap is valuable because you can see all the funds and you know that they're designed to not do something like that I mean, that's something sure, that will never happen on Ethereum. We'll get the BZX illiquidity hack. Like we'll get, we'll get smart contract risk, but we will never have a run on the bank. Okay. So this is where I'll give Ethereum some credit. So at least, or at least DeFi credit. DeFi is Ethereum native finance. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's not decentralized. It's open based on how much the team wants it to be open, but is, it is Ethereum native. So there are benefits that come specifically from utilizing Ethereum's native features, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that people in the Bitcoin community are waking up to that. And there are a lot of native Bitcoin features that are very useful. It's not Turing complete, but that doesn't mean it doesn't have like very useful features. And you can have, you know, this proof of keys, on-chain uh, audibility, a lot of stuff if you actually if these businesses and exchanges 
utilize the blockchain's native features. So, I mean, we are seeing that River Financial, mm-hmm. um, what's CoinFloor out of the UK, Unchained Capital, uh, uh, what's it called, uh, Casa. These are all companies right, okay. that are building natively on Bitcoin. And yeah, it's starting slower. But, you know, this is why I think altcoins are good because they actually show you that like they can teach you things that you that weren't immediately intuitive. And I think that that is something that people slowly kind of came no. around to. No, no. Proof of proof of keys is not an apt comparison to like MakerDAO or Uniswap at all. Like proof of keys is just an exchange is able to attest to the fact that they have the funds that they say they have. And so it's, it's like go being able to go to MakerDAO and like look at the funds inside of MakerDAO and say, yes, they are there. The difference is that also in MakerDAO, you can see the rules for how, how- It's called audibility. Yes, auditability, yes. But with MakerDAO, you can also audit the rules for how the bank is going to operate or same thing with, with Uniswap. You can't, you can't go to like River Financial or, or whatever and say like, oh, I have, you know, guaranteed proof that there's built into the code that the funds will never, ever do this thing that I don't want it to do. Like, great, proof of keys, awesome. You can, you can tell us that you have the funds, but you can't ever prove, trustlessly prove that you are going to do what you are saying, what you've committed to doing in this paper document terms of service that I've, we've signed and agreed on. Like, that's the difference. Okay, well... I, I would push back and say that Bitcoin native can allow you to put in very specific restrictions and you can enforce that with multi-sig, but you can like in the future, theoretically, you can also do that with Schnorr and Taproot, right? Where you can put in contingencies on how a transaction is, is used. So again, like it's not to say that all of these features that Ethereum has are bad. Like I wouldn't go as far as saying that. I think that experimentation is happening with all these things on on Ethereum, and people are picking up on what is useful and what is not necessarily useful. Um, but in terms of like the paper contract and trust and all that stuff, like that is all about how the organization is set up. And I think that there's a lot of like, I guess again, I think like people pretending to be defied on Ethereum, but really there are a bunch of organizations that are centralized and they're doing illegal things and they're putting themselves in position to get fucked. Whether or not there is a market for people to do this stuff in a censorship resistant way, I, I think there is a little bit, but they're typically like in the past, they've mostly been doing centralized uh, alternatives. That could change. We'll see. I think the so, fact that like, there isn't Bitcoin natively on Ethereum is hurting that from actually happening. Bitcoiners who say like, oh yeah, DeFi, DeFi isn't actually decentralized are being just as dishonest as what they are claiming Ethereum people are to be. Because we all know, and I know you know, that decentralization is on a spectrum. And if you, I hope you read my article, The Two Faces of Ethereum, that talk about this. And so saying like DeFi isn't decentralized is missing the whole point that this is a spectrum that we are can can live on and we can move on either in either direction on that spectrum and it's in the social contract of ethereum to move towards the fully decentralized uh, version of all of our protocols and apps so saying like DeFi isn't decentralized is actually totally dishonest because we're all trying to move towards totally decentralized services Sorry, we haven't gotten there yet. These things are brand new, but at least we are moving towards there. And that's something that we want. And like Bitcoiners never, ever talk about how that's, that's one of the prime values of the Ethereum ecosystem. I guess what, what I'm trying to say is that not, not, not that it's, it's not a value that is worth striving for. Like, I think that, sure, maybe decentralization is a just a value that is worth striving for. But I think the reality is that decentralization is only good for very specific things. And the only reason to decentralize is to do very specific things. And those things happen to kind of correspond with uh, taking power out of any one person's hands and making things central censorship resistant and making things, you know, more permanent. Like th- those are the reasons to decentralize. If you don't want those things, then 
just decentralizing or pretending to decentralize or building something on Ethereum and actually not being decentralized in any way is not going to protect you. Like that so, is not going to actually protect you. So like there's, it just seems like there's a level of naivety where like these services are up and are not, you know, they're doing these amazing things and they're not collecting email addresses and they're not KYCing you. Like that is actually not inherent to these services. Like that is only happening because these people are being really fucking stupid and they're putting themselves at risk. Okay, there's two things wrong with that. They're not doing that because you can access the applications that they're building on Ethereum regardless of going to their website or not. And so all they are offering you is a front end to access the thing that they put on Ethereum. And so like there's two parts of every DeFi company. There's like the front end UI and there's the actual application. The only reason why we use the UI is because people like me can't code. And so I have to go to the website to use it, but other people could spin up a front end. And, and the other reason why you, you, what you're missing when we talk about why we want to be decentralized, again, like decentralized, you need to be, have a reason to be decentralized. And the reason why Uniswap is such a good fucking application is because it is entirely decentralized which means that there's no one to stop anyone else from building on top of Uniswap, which means as a piece of infrastructure, it operates as an extremely stable and dependable foundation for all applications to live on top of. And if it had a central point of failure, then that just wouldn't be true. And so with, like, with other blockchains, sure, make sure that when you choose decentralization, you're doing it for a reason. But with Ethereum applications, if you can choose decentralization, you make it a hundred times easier for all other applications to use you and leverage you and become a stable money Lego for all the other applications. And so with Ethereum, there's always going to be good reasons to have a decentralized application so long as it doesn't hamstring your product. Would open source code be considered money Legos? <sighs> Not really, because it's, it's all about being one transaction away from other applications. Tran applications need to, to need to coexist in the same space. And it's just fundamentally impossible with Bitcoin. How about open source libraries that you can reference? It's, it's, it's the same thing. Like, great. But no, you need, you need apps to talk to each other. Like what Ethereum is, is it's grow. It's a, it's a growing structure. It is a, it's a building. It is a, it's a city. It's a growing network of applications that uh, when you stitch them together, they create a structure. And that's, that's the internal side of Ethereum. And that's something that Bitcoin can't have. Okay. So here I get, like, I, I don't, I don't want to like go down this route of just like bashing. Um, I just like, don't necessarily like know where to necessarily attack this. Like, <laughs> I, I agree that like Bitcoin is more limited, right? So you can't just like build the code into what Bitcoin's doing, but that doesn't actually mean that it is impossible to do these things with Bitcoin. And I think that right now that seems confusing, but in the future, we just don't know what we'll be able to do with Bitcoin. If that makes sense. Like, the so, the ability for bitcoin to be moved and put into different places is is not something that is getting harder it's actually getting easier because we have things like rsk we have things like uh we have things like uh liquid we have all these people and projects building on ethereum we have lightning happening like people are figuring out how to do this we have cosmos happening like like the actually, the progress to whatever, but the progress of like building all of these things to build this ecosystem is, is only opening the door for Bitcoin more as a dominant money. And I guess, I think you're right. Like the crux of this is like, what happens first? Do people converge on a money and the ecosystem grows around it? Which, I mean, maybe that's just the narrative I believe in and maybe I'm fitting reality to the narrative or is it the ecosystem makes the money? Um, I mean, right. I, I don't know. So, like, I can't. Is there a time in history where the ecosystem made the money without centralization? So, so this is this is where or I'll like take control. One of, one of so this is where I'll take one of my favorite lines that you've said, but spun in my favor. By the time Bitcoin figures out all of that stuff, 
where will Ethereum be? Because we already have like an absolute Cambrian explosion of DeFi applications being built on Ethereum that leverage Ether as an asset. So by the time Bitcoin integrates like Schnorr and Taproot and, and Rootstock becomes somehow something that uses, that is being used by Bitcoiners. And then, and then once that even exists, then you can start to build your applications and then, and then you can have one application and then you can have three and then you can have your permutations after permutations. How long do you think it's going to get to that point and where will Ethereum be by the time you do that? Um, probably way behind Bitcoin in terms of money, money standard. Yeah, I'm not too sure. Not too sure about that one. I mean, like, let's just like try to be like in awe of where Bitcoin has gone in terms of like a global money standard. We have Fidelity and ICE creating custodial solutions in order to offer services for Bitcoin. Like, do, do you these think are Ethan's these are not far these behind? are led. That's I not mean, a moat. It kind of is a moat, like you're not going to like, you're not going to get the cascading, like the cascading effect happens over and over again, like in an exponential manner. So I feel like the longer it takes for ether to get onto there, the longer that there is uncertainty around what ETH two is like the longer that there's all these question marks, like that is going to make it harder. Like one of the hardest questions for, um, for custodians is what do you do with the forks? Like that is like, they don't want that. Like that gives them a lot of uncertainty. Like what happens with these like moving forward and when at one point does enough like money in ether uh, like start making it difficult for people to have forks. Like there's all of these things that just like are, are, are very scary only, and uncertain about the asset. Only one fork matters to custodians and that's the fork. That's and not even the fork that's moving from ETH1 to ETH2. All forks ever have would never have fucked with any custodian. As long as the everyone's listening to the coordination effort and is on the same page no you don't need to do anything on like on the on the eth1 forks like you'll you would never have had to to do anything as a custodian why no no in my entire time in, in ethereum i have never had to pay attention to a fork that's because the custodian is paying attention to it no i'm the custodian i hold my own assets and so like we have, we have, we have the Gnosis multi-sig or, or I don't know how the fuck like. That's Gemini because all of those solutions have their own node that are updating. Sure. But like, no, these are, these are non, these are non-issues. These are simply trivial, trivial issues. Who makes a decision, David, to go to the next fork? It's all of these economic nodes. It doesn't matter because there's only one chain. There hasn't been forks on forks on forks because there's, it, it's a, it's a fork but there's only one outbound chain. It's not, well, there's not two I, outbound chains. I guess theoretically someone could decide to keep mining the old thing. Sure. But sure. that's because but, of social but consensus. Okay. Ultimately it's what everyone decides to be the, the chain is the chain. Mm -hmm. Right. And, but the question is, is who is the everyone that gets to decide? And if it actually is everyone, can a decision be made? Because it, if a decision a is being made, then theoretically, it's not everyone. Theoretically, there's a power structure to um, enforce what it is. Is this just an Ethereum is centralized critique? I'm just saying that you're saying that this is not an issue. And I'm just trying to explain to you how these decisions get made and uh, what are the implications of that? I think that is a concern troll. Look, people need to run their node and tell you what the rules are. So who is making those decisions? Uh, that Sounds like you haven't thought about it very been, much. That, no, your that ledger still a, works. <laughs> it hasn't been a relevant thing to think about because that has, it's a non-issue. Okay. It just You're trusting other people. No, I'm not. The way that you're using oh, yeah, Ethereum I mean, right I mean, now I mean, is I'm currently a, a lot of trust. I'm trusting Ethereum in the sense that like when they roll in a new fork, I trust that it's not going to fuck up anything. Sure. You're not validating your own transactions and everything that you're using is being validated by someone else. 
I'm just, I'm just tell, telling you the reality of what is your usage of Ethereum. Do you think that everyone's going to run their own node? No, you think there's going to be one node per household? I mean, we, we don't know what that's going to be like. There's a modem in every the household. The answer is no. There will not be one node per household. That will not happen. Okay. Okay. Or there, or there will be. <laughs> Let's wrap this up. <laughs> there will not be a node per household. That will never happen. I, I never said that it has to be every household, but I do think that actually using the trustlessness features of these protocols natively uh, has utility. And people, you know, if we they are, want to are, do that, we'll, we'll need to do that. We are a long way off from the genesis of this, of this debate. Let's wrap this up. All right. Um, how are, you know where to find the podcast, guys. Yeah. We'll, we'll do the ads separately. Okay. Um, thanks for listening to us. I hope you didn't watch <laughs> this whole thing live, but it was a little roundabout. Hopefully David ed- edits it well tonight. Um, You can find the show at POV CryptoPod. You can find me at CK underscore Snarks. You can find me at Trustless Date, both on Twitter and uh, I guess I'm David Hoffman on Bankless. So cheers. Yeah. Hey, also check out Bitcoin Tina on Bitcoin. It'll trigger all you ETHEDs. (laughs) Oh boy. Good job to watch it. If you want to be triggered. Okay. Okay.